Welcome to Joiners, the podcast with Tim and Danny, where we explore the world of hospitality by chatting with its most colorful characters. There it is, Danny. You got it. You know, that word always trips me up. It's always lurking. Wasn't the first time. It's not the last time. Yeah, it'll keep happening. Yeah. Now, Danny, something I've noticed in the bar and restaurant world, fancier bathrooms. Hmm. Yeah, I guess you're right. Have you noticed this trend? Yeah, I'd say so. And you know what? I like it. Definitely more like picturesque, Instagrammable bathrooms for sure. Yeah. Fancy is maybe second to clean for me. Yeah, of course. Clean bathroom is most important. Can you have the... a fancy, dirty bathroom? Well, you could have a dirty bathroom with character. Yeah, that's true. Like, like empty bottle. Like empty bottle is a perfect example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd maybe throw sportsman's in there as well. Yeah, that was what came to mind too. Yeah. Um, but as bathrooms get fancier... I've noticed no <laughs> presence of the bathroom attendant. Ah, oh, the human vending machine. The human vending machine. Yeah, I think we're glad to see the absence of the bathroom attendant. I personally am happy to not have to talk to somebody and give them money when I'm peeing. Yeah, and I mean, if you think about it, what kind of things are they being subjected to? Like the sounds and smells of a bathroom are not sweet. It's not a job I'd want, no. But yeah, I don't know, man. Anytime I walk in a bathroom, I can't remember the last time I saw it, but there's always a moment of panic when you walk in and there's someone staring at you and they're they're wearing like a... Yeah, like a tuxedo. Like a tuxedo, exactly. You're like, God damn it, what's it going to cost me to dry my hands? (laughs) And also, what kind of things are they offering? Yeah. Prophylactics, some mints. (laughs) It's nothing you want. (laughs) A bathroom mint, which actually came up kind of recently. Oh, Uh, right. I don't know if Tim wants to tell that story. No, I'm happy to indulge the request. (laughs) Uh, We are out to eat with uh, guests of the pod, uh, Mike Sula and Ronnie Kaplan. And uh, after the meal, I had to use the restroom. So I did. And uh, I noticed there were mints in the bathroom. I go, ooh, I'm going to get a little treat for the guys, clear their palates. I grabbed four mints. Met the guys on the street and distributed <laughs> said mints. And immediately Ronnie was like, I'm not, he's like, that was from the bathroom. I'm not eating that. <laughs> it was then, a really good point. It was a perfect, we not, had never thought of it. I that. never thought of it. Yeah. It, it was an enclosed lifesaver. It was an individually wrapped lifesaver. Yeah. But, but I do love, I love the mints at Shaw's. I know we talk about Shaw's a lot on the pod, yeah, but that's another nice mints. thing they have. Yeah, those butter mints, mm. amazing texture. Real Always good. grabbing a handful of those from the host stand when I leave. Yeah, well, speaking of bathrooms, uh, we heard an interesting story about bathrooms from this week's guest, Billy Helmkamp. That's right. About how they were building out the bathrooms at the Whistler um, in the early days and why they had to be the size that they currently are, et cetera. Yeah, there was a story that neither of us knew. Really. Yeah. Despite I, Danny being a famed employee. <laughs> I of tuned out all information. But yeah, it was great to have Billy on the pod this week. We caught up about the old days, uh, cracked some jokes, and kind of learned about his foray into, you know, the bar world. Yeah, and the Whistler was not really ever meant to be a bar, but ended up becoming like a premier cocktail destination in the country. Yeah, I mean, these... Two, uh, you know, arts-focused individuals, Billy and Rob, who wanted to create, like, an interesting community space, ended up, yeah, with The Whistler, and then later on opening a really cool music venue called Sleeping Village, of course, and, uh, yeah, here we are. Yeah, we get into it. So, without further ado, please enjoy our conversation with Billy Helmkamp. This episode of Joiners is brought to you by Host Ready to Drink Premium Bottled Cocktails. Choose from Old Fashioned, Martini, and coming soon, a Manhattan. For more information, go to Host, that's H-O-S-T-E, cocktails.com, connect with quality. 
what you say now can yeah. and will be held against you on the joiners oh, pod. Yeah. So in doing my research, Billy, uh, you know, I, sometimes I forget just how many different things you dabble in and how many, you know, things you've been involved with. Why don't you list the ones you know about and we'll have Billy tell us the remaining. <laughs> yeah, ones. exactly. I mean, like just like Logan square art stuff, uh, the independent venue, you know, civil. Yeah. All, yeah. all those things. I'm a busybody. Yeah. <laughs> Always love to do stuff. Um, how did you get into everything like that? Like was, it seems like arts have always been a focus in your life. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, years before Rob and I opened the Whistler, we started an arts collective. Yeah. Through that we, this is in New York. No, this, this was here. Okay. Got it. Um, yeah, this was pretty much immediately after I moved to Chicago. We were putting out records renting gallery spaces and putting on concerts, um, you know, getting hired by local theater companies to film their productions. And that was, so you were doing this for like a few years before the Whistler even opened. Yeah, we did that for about five years. And, you know, that was, I guess, the first thoughts of opening our own space Yeah, came through that. Okay. Where did you guys meet? We met in New York. At, um, in college? Well, yeah, it was our college years. Um, I had moved out there. I, I had moved out there for a six-week summer course. Mm-hmm. And uh, by week five, I called my parents and said, cancel my lease, drop me out of school. I was at Ohio State at the time and okay. uh, decided to stay. Yeah. And um, so did you so you transferred to NYU? Not immediately. I When I first moved out there, I got a job on Wall Street. Wow. I worked at a brokerage firm for a while. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow, yeah. very unbilly like Yeah. Well, you know, at the time, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah. I kind of always wanted to go into the arts, but the, you know, pragmatist in me was didn't think there was a career in that. Yeah, for sure. So I dabbled in some other things. Yeah, but like even growing up in Ohio, were you like, you know, huge into music and film and stuff like that oh yeah absolutely uh you know all through high school and college was just going to concerts and you know art class was my favorite class yeah in high school and you know president of the art club and uh you know i i wanted to go into that um but yeah i you know i didn't think there was a future in it really right Uh, it was more i guess it was like a couple years after i moved to new york I had worked, I'd worked for that brokerage firm. Uh, I interned at Merrill Lynch and that just really what, you know, the suit and tie world definitely wasn't for me. Yeah. Uh, and at that point I said, you know what, I'm just going to scrap all that and apply to NYU and went into the film school there. Okay. So you started at Tisch, like mm-hmm. when you trans, like when you re-enrolled, I guess, in college or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I did. Did a brief semester at Baruch to finish my, you know, basic classes. Yeah. Then transferred into Tisch, and I spent, I guess, three years there and finished up. Okay. And was Rob in Tisch as well? Yeah, he was in the photography department, but I don't recall ever seeing him on campus. <laughs> and not because he wasn't there, but we were in different yeah, worlds. departments. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, my college career was a little bit more long and winding than his yeah uh you know he was in and out in typical four years me i when i moved to new york 
took time off, yeah. just worked, went to Baruch for a semester, decided to transfer to NYU, took time off. Yeah. And then during my NYU days, I mean, it was so expensive living in New York, even, you know, even in the late 90s. Yeah. Uh, you know, at one point, I think I took a whole semester off and just worked three or four jobs. Just to like kind of catch up a little bit or put some money in the bank. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, that, you know, my, <laughs> I, I felt like I was a little bit of an older student. Yeah. Even though I was only, you know, maybe two or three years older than right. my classmates. Mm-hmm. And looking back, it's not a significant difference at all. No, not yeah. at all. But at the time, yeah, I was like, sure. I'm the old guy in the class. <laughs> You're like, I have some lessons for y'all. Yeah. Yeah. And how, at what point do you actually come across? Rob, when where do your paths cross? Um, I mean, that was actually like right after I moved there. Um, he was dating a friend of mine. Okay. Um, so you know, we became friends pretty quickly, and you know, after after my first lease was up, I was between apartments for I don't know. He'll probably correct me on this, but I felt like it was like three, four months. Yeah, I'd slept on his couch. Yeah. For that whole time. <laughs> so you got uh, to know each other pretty well. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, we were good friends by that point. And, uh, you know, the fact that he was still talking to me after that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, speaks to our friendship. I suppose. <laughs> yeah. And how do you guys make the decision to come to Chicago? How does that come to be? Uh, you know, he moved out here in 99, I think it was. I was still in New York. I didn't I didn't actually move out here till I guess it was. January of 2002. Uh, so he moved out here a few years before I did. Um, yeah. He had a brother out here and some friends and, you know, he landed out here after doing a, you know, a road trip that I think took him the better part of a year. Okay. Just driving around oh. the country, working on some photography projects. Um, I ended up out here though, because summer of 2001, I came out for a week's vacation. <laughs> it's kind of like the same way I ended up in New York. Came out here for a week's vacation. By the end of it, decided it's time for a change. I'm going to move to Chicago. Yeah. Got this, you know, as soon as I got back to New York, I went into my, went into work that Monday and gave my notice and said, here's my notice. I'm not leaving for about five months, but. Uh. <laughs> well, what was your trip to Chicago like where you were, where you fell in love with it? Um, you know, it was just one of those perfect summer weeks. Okay, it had to be uh, summer. No one yeah. comes to Chicago in the winter and decides to move here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah now I really got tricked. Dude. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it was you know it was just beautiful out um, at the time. Both of my sisters were living here, so I had oh, family okay. here. Uh, Rob had already moved out here. Um, I had a handful of friends here. A lot of people I went to high school with. You know, Chicago was kind of like the city everyone from Akron moved to. If, if they wanted to go to a big city, yeah. a lot of people ended up here. Yeah. Uh, so I just, I knew a lot of people, had a great week, and made the call right then. Um, and then, you know, a couple months later, 9-11 happened. Mm. And, you know, I I was already on my way out of New York, yeah. but that kind of... Solidified it. Yeah, yeah. That was weird times the last couple months. Yeah, what yeah. was it like being there for that? Uh, I mean, immediately... Immediately after was was wild, like just very surreal. Um, you know, I remember I was going to work that morning and I was about to hop on the train. And I saw smoke coming from one of the towers. I, I stood on the corner watching it for a while. I was like, "Oh, that's pretty, pretty fucked up." All right, got on the train, went in, and 
realized while I was on the train going through Southern Manhattan, the second tower got hit because when I got was out there chatter on the train, like, Oh, nobody on the train knew anything was happening. No, oh my God. But when I got out of my station, uh, at union square, there were just thousands of people standing around looking. And then my office was like right on the corner of, uh, fifth Avenue and 18th street. And the view down fifth Avenue is the arch in Washington square park framed with the world's great trade center behind it. And both towers were on fire. And there were just at this point, thousands of people just staring, you know, Oh, it was wild. And oh I got God. up into the office and that's where everyone's like, so here's what you missed. You know, <laughs> God. Oh, oh man. Did and everyone then, go home? You, oh yeah. Yeah. But you couldn't well, get out right for a time. Or home, you mean to your apartments, not yeah, like out yeah, of New like York. leave the yeah. office because yeah. you didn't know like what else was going to happen. I remember like I was in like health class, and people were like, "Yeah, there's like planes hitting buildings in New York." And I was like, "What?" Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's a class. Like a lot, well, a lot of classes, like scenario. they brought like TVs in and people were watching it happen. Yeah, we I had watched, no idea. We had a half day. Also, growing up in LA, it was like everything was three hours ahead. So by the time oh, right, I woke right. up, like we kind of knew what was happening, but we still were sent to school. But then, like you know. The once panic once the like severity went, of it exactly. dawned on everybody. Yeah. And then I think, yeah, we were excused like halfway through. But yeah, we watched, I think we watched in journalism class, like the TV was wheeled into the room. And oh, yeah. We watched yeah. the oh, news, All the I TVs guess. at work were tuned in to CNN. Yeah. And yeah, eventually it was just like, okay, everyone go home. But that was a big problem because I lived in Brooklyn mm. and they shut Manhattan down from 14th Street down south. And you couldn't get down there unless you showed... ID saying you live there. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it took us all day to walk home. And I somehow met up with my friends and we yeah, spent the rest of the day walking home. And then, I mean, we were just glued to CNN for like the next week. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for you sure. Know? But and to was, Tim's point, yeah, we didn't know like what, like, was there other stuff coming next? Yeah. My like, only were thought, there other targets? My like, thought was uh, yeah. without, without knowing like about the hijacking, my thought was like, oh, there must be some sort of like software malfunction. Because this is like kind of fresh off of Y2K, also. Oh, so right, in my right. mind, the only thing that could go wrong is like computers have turned against us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, it, you know, and fast forward the, the 20 years called. and they may turn against us. <laughs> yeah. True, out of my time. No, I, I, I felt pretty, I felt pretty safe the whole time. To be honest with you, like. But you already had plans to move to Chicago, so you were. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. I was like, so Billy's like, I hmm. had, t- you know, I had less than two months. God, left give me a sign. It's time to leave New <laughs> yeah. York. Oh, right. Yeah, right. Oh uh, boy. But uh, you know, I I got out to got out to Chicago, and I had a job lined up. Um, I worked at a post production house. Uh, you know, again in like the film and TV world. Do you miss that world at all? Not particularly. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, mean yeah, was, like Rob did commercial photography. He obviously still takes pictures and stuff for yeah. the businesses. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, you put on concerts and have put on shows for a very long time. So that probably scratches that itch, I would presume. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, my focus, my focus was like editing and producing. Yeah. Um, and I, I get to use the producing side of things with work right project management making things happen being organized yeah that it's same thing different game right um editing on the other hand you know i i don't know what the heck i'm doing with that anymore Uh, (laughs) you know if you put me in front of a computer and said edit this commercial i'd be lost Uh, (laughs) i I've, i've definitely lost that skill 
Yeah, like just just because the technology moves so fast. Uh, that and I mean, you know, I used to work with Final Cut, and uh, you know, I knew all the shortcuts and mm-hmm. yeah, got fast and knew what I was doing. But you know, I'd have to look up every move. I mean, yeah, I'd have to <laughs> yeah. search like an online manual now if I was doing anything. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, so you know, fast forwarding to 2008, we get the opening of the whistler the building you know you guys are in control of since 2005 ish mm-hmm. and it takes time to open it there's oh. like was it a gallery before that state farm insurance oh oh so you guys were just saw a storefront and you're like let's take this over and then we'll figure something out to do yeah so what had happened there was rob had been looking for a property for i think a couple years um and he was specifically, at the time, he was living in Pilsen. And he was looking in Pilsen and Logan Square. Um, you know, his thinking was, I want a place where I can work downstairs, live upstairs. Um, and, yeah, he, he found the building that the Whistler's in back in, I want to say, 2005. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that point, I had actually left Chicago. And I was my plan was I was moving back to New York. Um, I had always kind of, when I moved here... This is the other thing. When I moved here, I said, I'm just going to move there for a few years. Then I'll, hmm. I'll move back. Like, I always saw myself living in New York for the rest of my life. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. So I had actually left Chicago. When he bought the building, he called me and was like, I finally got this place. Do you want to come back to Chicago? Mm-hmm. Don't know what we're going to do with it, but let's <laughs> start some <laughs> sort of business in it. So, you know, it... it Took me like a good five months to do this 180 and get back here. And, uh, you know, I moved into his spare bedroom above the Whistler. Um, and, you know, we, yeah, we spent, spent a long time. We did all the demo for the space ourselves. I mean, in retrospect, that was, that was dumb. Like our GC, when we told him about how long it took us and all the bloody knuckles and whatnot. Yeah. He was like, Oh, we would have had that done in 48 hours. If you had us <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know, I mean, we, we opened the business on a shoestring budget. Yeah. You know, we, we bootstrapped the whole thing. We had nothing. And you had to flyer all the people in the neighborhood, right. To get the licensing and everything. I mean, that's like a whole other episode. Yeah. Like there was a, there was a moratorium. Yeah. There was a moratorium on liquor licenses in our part of Logan square. I mean, they hadn't issued a new license in about a decade. Uh, a lot, a lot of the neighbors were against it because their history with some of those businesses that had bars was Mm -hmm. rocky to say the best. And, you know, let, let's face it. Like, I don't think those places took, I, th- I think there was probably a lot of overserving happening yeah. and, you know, uh, they weren't respectful to the neighborhood. Yeah. There, there, there were some, there was some pushback. So yeah, I mean, we, you know, we had to have public meetings. Uh, we had to go house to house and get signatures from as many registered voters within a certain radius of the building. Wow. Um, you know, luckily the alderman, um, Ray Cologne was alderman at the time. And I mean, he, you know, he, grew up in Logan Square and he was really really forward thinking you know in that he was like looking around just seeing empty storefronts and he you know he was like I want I want this to be like a fun neighborhood like I think it's like how he remembered it from his youth um so you know we were really fortunate to have him on our side what was your pitch and how you were going to do it differently and why it wasn't a mistake 
Um, well, I mean, for starters, the fact that the Whistler's a bar, I mean, that wasn't even in probably our first 10 items for what we wanted to do with the space. Kind of first and foremost, we kind of saw it as an extension of the arts collective and what we were doing there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we saw it more as like, you know, this artistic hub more than anything. Uh, and that colored, you know, most of our conversations with the aldermen mm-hmm. um, because that's just how we saw it. Um, the fact that we, you know, eventually decided to get a, go for a tavern license, that really just came on because, you know, we looked at the numbers and we figured we'll be out of business in two months if we don't sell beer, cocktails or something. Yeah. So that was more out of necessity than anything that we went for the liquor license. Yeah. Um, and the fact that I think we were coming at it from first an angle of arts more so than a bar is something that resonated with him. Yeah. And that, a lot a of the neighbors. That was a novel idea at the time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So when you guys opened... When you get, so you get the like liquor license right, or you get that approved, mm-hmm. then is it full fledged like we're going bar and stage? Like how did that? How did you develop the concept for how we know it today? Um, I mean, as far as like the layout of the space goes, a lot of that was dictated by just how big our bathrooms needed to be, just yeah, to you know for city stuff. code, yeah. um, and you know issues with egress. Like, this was also right on the heels of the E2 nightclub disaster. I don't know if either of you no, were in Chicago. Or you probably weren't in Chicago. Yeah, I, I wasn't. Tim was. What year? Um, I forget what year that happened. I want to say 2007. Uh, I moved give in or take. 08. You know, it, it, it was, it was a, a lot of people died. Uh, there was a nightclub. I think it was on Michigan Avenue, like South Michigan Avenue. And basically there was just like a rush for the door and the door was down a flight of stairs it locked and it was just this crush of people and i mean it was it was big news in chicago um why were they rushing for the door you know i think coming like a fire inside or something it was a misunderstanding somebody thought there was a gun or a fire or something along those lines and everyone just panicked and rushed for the door and and they only had one point of egress that front door um, or it's the one what? that everyone went to. Okay, got it. Um, so there, that's when the egress laws got. Well, things just got real hmm. tight then hmm. as far as making sure all new construction's up to code and whatnot. Wow. So I know there, there was just a lot of considerations like that. And like, you know, for instance, we don't get this question so much anymore, but I remember in the early days, people were asking, why are your bathrooms so big? Because, I mean, they take up like 20% of our floor space. But, you know, I mean, it's just ADA requirements. Like, it needs to be a certain size yeah. and so many stalls and it is know, a turning points. It. Yeah. And, you know, people would say, well, yeah, but didn't you, like, ask if you could make them smaller? <laughs> like, that? yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, uh, but could I make it a little bit smaller? So, yeah. but, but that did dictate, okay, they need to be this big. Um, and then we just kind of had little card, you know, cardboard cutouts with, where we'd move stages around on on a board, like okay, stage mm-hmm. would be here, bar could be here, uh, you know. Our, for instance, you know, we have that storefront gallery that every couple of months changes out with a new installation. The reason it isn't inside the space and it's outside and faces Milwaukee Avenue is because, you know, okay, we need to put the stage up here, but we also don't want to have a lot of sound coming out. We don't want to annoy other people on the street, so. 
that we basically built that as like a buffer acoustically. Yeah, like a little sound barrier. Oh, yeah. yeah. Huh. Um, I never so, knew that. Yeah, you know, so there were just some considerations like that that dictated where things went. And, yeah. Uh, you know, it, and that was, I think, kind of like a happy little accident in that it's great. Like, we have this gallery that you don't even have to come in and see it. Like, you can see it driving down the road or yeah, it's cool. Yeah, by. it seemed very cool. I, w- I was always an early patron there, and it seemed like a little cool little hidden intellectual bar. You had, like, art in the window. You had... Was it Hugh, the guy at the door for a long yeah, time? He was there. Oh, yeah, he was, he was awesome. always yeah. there, like reading a novel. <laughs> yeah, and then you go inside, and there's like an old picture of someone's. Is that your parents on the wall or Rob's? Rob's. Yeah. That's Rob's. My my parents got the same treatment in the back of the room. They came down for some like installation we did, and they never went back up. But they're they're behind <laughs> the bar in little little frames. But, oh, cool. But yeah, that's Rob's mom and dad. Yeah. you see when you walk yeah. in, you sit there, you'd see a young Danny Shapiro with uh, dark hair <laughs> serving a killer like eight dollar cocktail. It was the, the perfect spot. <laughs> yeah, um, and then how did you get linked up with Robert? Um, I don't remember how we because did Robert got build your bar out before Longman's? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's pretty interesting kind of piece of trivia for the people. Yeah, uh, I think yeah, I is think, Robert of Land and Sea. Mm-hmm. Carpenter. Yeah. We we woodworker. We must must have a mutual friend who introduced us. Yeah. And uh I mean it's a beautiful bar, and, you know. Is oh it, yeah. Is it Douglas Fir? No, Walnut. Walnut. And so th- th- this was really again like we were on a shoestring budget. Uh we got the walnut because he was working on another project, which I don't think I ever even found out what it was, but he was working on another project and he had extra walnut from it. And he was like, you know, I can give you a deal on this because I've got the wood already. And we're like, yeah, that sounds good. I think walnut's good. It's supposed to be a <laughs> walnut good sounds wood. Good. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, he, he did an awesome job too. It was just you know, I, my my memory is a little bit, uh, you know, fuzzy about how the design of it came up. But I think we just sat down with him. And we were like, okay, it needs to go here. It needs to be this size. Basically, the aesthetic of the space, Rob and I both are just like pretty minimal aesthetic in general. And so we were just like, keep it minimal. And he did a couple, you know, 3D renderings. And I think it was just one of those situations where we pointed to one and said, that looks good. We'll take We'll take that one. <laughs> yeah, we'll take that one with the leftover walnut. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's really pretty. Stood the test of time. Yeah, I mean, it's a very timeless, like, aesthetic, I think. Yeah. And then, okay, so one last detail for, before it opens, you your plan is to have it be a bar and, like, a music venue and a creative space. The cocktails are kind of like a last-minute pivot that changes things a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, that came about just from when I met Paul. Yeah. Um, you know, f- funny. It's just funny how things work out sometimes because, you know, I met Paul because somebody misspelled my name. Uh, <laughs> like, this is Paul McGee we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, Rob and I's banded played the hideout. They gave me a check after the show. And I didn't realize till I got home that whoever had written the check butchered my last name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I go back to the hideout, you know, later that week. It's afternoon time before they opened. Uh, let myself in and go upstairs to the office and go to get another check issued, right? Uh, and I hear someone say my name from across uh, the room. And it's this girl, Kater Scioli, who 
maybe she was McCombs at the time. Um, she was just somebody who I knew through the music scene. Um, I had rented her gallery space to put on shows and she had moved out to LA in, in the years since I had last seen her. Um, she was in town visiting and, you know, it was the classic, what are you up to? What are you up to? And it's like, well, we're working on opening a bar. And, you know, first thing she said was, oh, I know somebody, I know a bartender. <laughs> uh, and Danny, you probably had this happen to you a lot. Like when you were opening Scofflaw or any of the other places, like as soon as you tell someone you're opening a bar, everybody knows somebody who should definitely bartend for you. (laughs) And I mean, it was like a running joke at that point. Uh, You know, everyone would say that, but you know, when Kate's Kate was like, no, so I have a friend, he's in Los Angeles. Uh, He's Wolfgang Puck's mixologist. Um, He and his wife are looking to move to Chicago. Like you should talk to him. And and I was like, okay, this, it was like the one time that I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And yeah, she put, put me in touch with Paul. We, Talked a couple times. He they they came out for a visit and we met. And he had no beard then. No beard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was wild. Yeah, no uh, credibility. <laughs> no credibility. No beard. Yeah. I yeah, and I'm, I wonder if he like even had button down shirts at the time. I remember at one time he was like, Shelby threw out all all, all my t shirts. Like I'm, I'm buttoned up from here on out or something. You know. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, he oh d- definitely had a different style back then. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, we we just really hit it off, and you know, like I said, we were kind of trying to approach everything from the angle of like this is an art, whether it's you know something we're showing in the gallery or a record that our record label is putting out or a band on stage, and you know, I really liked the fact that you know he he looked at cocktails like oh these are little mini works of art. You know, and yeah, it, I don't know. We, we really hit it off from that standpoint. Yeah. And it seems like you also agreed and like you fully embraced the cocktails and the cocktail movement as well. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, we, we put out a menu on the bar the first day and, you know, I think we, we all thought, eh, well, you know, maybe a couple adventurous people order a cocktail. Um, but I remember at the end of our soft opening at the end of the night, bringing up the lights, locking the door, and then Rob and Paul and I looking at each other saying, we got to figure out how to do cocktails. Because, <laughs> I mean, you got to understand, like, Paul was with a hand juicer, juicing every drink <laughs> to order. It was ridiculous. Yeah, chaos. Like, we, yeah, like, none of us had any idea what we were doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think Paul said like two people ordered beers that night. I mean, it was all cocktails. Yeah. yeah. Maybe an exaggeration, but not <laughs> by much. Yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah. That is wild. Yeah. Yeah. What a time. I mean, you adapted pretty quickly. Yeah. And... What, what did you have to put into the infrastructure? Like juicing machine? Um, I mean, not a machine. We actually, you know, we just got one of those like tabletop hand cranked press juicers. Hired a Danny. Yeah, yeah. Set them up. Well, was, the, yeah, well B1 always deep, always yeah. did the juicing. Yeah. Uh, and like, yeah, we I, we need to get a system down. That was the main thing, more so mm-hmm. than infrastructure. Like, you know, of course, one of the first things we did was, you know, moved our cheater ice uh, out of there and got a cold draft machine. God, cold draft yeah. was the worst. Yeah, <laughs> Remember exactly, that before yeah. the Breaking Hoshizaki? down all the time. Oh, yeah. my God. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> like getting good ice. Um, 
getting, you know, scaling up on like what our cocktail glassware was, like all these things. But the main thing was getting the system down. Like we were trying to do, and still to this day, it's like we're doing exacting drinks in often a really high volume setting. And there was no book on that. Yeah. At the time. But, and there's so. just like no wasted movement behind that bar. Everything is very like organized. Oh yeah. Um, and like everything's kind of within an arm's reach, I would say. Oh yeah. In that B1 space, it's like yeah. you do this little dance, your in the feet cockpit. move and you know, you, you're spinning around 180, but like <laughs> yeah. you're not taking any other steps. Yeah, no, it's pretty great. I, there aren't other bars like it. I think probably like it was like a happy accident how it was all built out because like if you knew what it was going to be ahead of time then there would have been you know a lot of different decisions made and that maybe would have made it strangely less efficient it's like when we built out like slippery slope because the first bar we ran was scofflaw and it's like really tight back there and we didn't have anything to do with that Um, we just inherited that layout when we built out slippery slope we're like we're gonna make like a big spacious you know bar have like a lot of room to move back there um which you know has its benefits because you're doing like a lot of you know turn and burn but you know it's like less uh, it's like i don't know well every quirky every place you've opened i imagine you've taken lessons from the last place yeah for sure you know lessons from friends places yeah whistler for sure perennial Uh, so the whistler hugely successful bar still successful at what point do you guys have the idea to open Sleeping Village? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. We're not done with Whistler. Right. So Whistler gets <laughs> early, t- early accolades, right? <laughs> and and at one point, a young Danny Shapiro who's at Perennial, it, it's it's on his radar. He's like, I'm going to take a large pay cut. I'm going to take yeah, a, I mean, a large pay yeah. cut to go work at the Whistler, this little bar in Logan Square. And was it your idea, I'm going to go learn cocktails yeah from, so I, like, what were you not learning at perennial that you wanted to go to, come to the whistle right for? so i wanted to have uh you know i guess a, a mentor like a, a paul sort of person i had been introduced to him i was in love with the whistler like from the first time i walked in there i uh you know tried to i was i guess eagerly trying to pursue a position there and then Susie, who was bartending at big star at the time she kind of like let me know that the whistler was looking and I think I, I applied traditionally, met with everyone, and then they hired Morgan instead of me. Or, you know, I didn't get hired. Morgan got hired. She's amazing. Um, and then fast forward maybe like a few more months or something. And the GQ article comes out. It's like the top 20 bars in America or something like that. And the Whistler gets mentioned. It's like a very, you know, seeming to me, to the Whistler, whoever, um, to people who care about that sort of thing. It's a very big deal. The Whistler's like on the map in a you know, nationally in a cocktail sort of way. And Paul like had reached out to me like shortly thereafter and was like, Hey, do you want to meet? Uh, I might have a position for you or something like that. So we meet at the Starbucks at, uh, like Logan in California, like at, you know, early, you know, 10 in the morning, I'd like close the night before perennial. He's like, Hey, we want you to come on, you know, start as a bar back, see what's going on, so on and so forth. Join the team. I was like, work your way up. Yeah. And I was like, let's do it. Um, I was very excited. And yeah, it was, it's an incredible place to work. Do you have any fun stories about uh, the young gun coming in? First off, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you started at the Whistler, was it 13 years ago this week? 
Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that is very possible. Yeah. It was like that first week of November in uh, 2010. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. So 13 years. It's <laughs> <laughs> crazy. Man. Yeah, but the cool thing was, so Billy would run the well from like Sunday to Wednesday or something like that. Like the, the B1 station was Billy's like Sunday to Wednesday or something like that. And then Paul would run Thursday to Sunday or Wednesday to Saturday, something like that. So they would kind of share it. Rob would yeah. sometimes do one night in the beginning. It was like one, Rob did Eric, one night, you did two, Paul did four or something. Well, Eric Henry had moved up into He's, that B1 But he replaced spot. Rob's one night, right? I think so, yeah. At first. Yeah. Anywho, so I got to work with everyone, all the owners of the business, Eric and Paul, like Billy and Rob, and, yeah, I mean, learned something different from each person. I felt bad. You, In retrospect, I was like, man, Danny, you got stuck with me most days. <laughs> no, it, was, it was great. Billy. I know you wanted to work with Paul mostly. No, it was but. it was awesome. <laughs> I remember a lot of laughter. Oh my God. When I told Cole I was going to be on your show, the first thing she asked was, are you going to talk to Danny about the fart splash? <laughs> fart splash cocktail. <laughs> so, which, all right. So it was basically just like a made up cocktail, but we'd be working together and, you know, a nice couple would sit down at the end of the bar. Danny would go over and talk to them, give them waters, take an order, come over to me, write down an order and, you know, just real nonchalantly be like, we got two fart splashes coming up for seats six and seven over here. <laughs> and it, I don't know, they were, you know, what, whatever they want, Manhattans or something. But it was all, you always put in, that is the order. <laughs> so Danny, maybe, maybe Danny, there's your inappropriate. Danny's beat red. Yeah. <laughs> fart splashes. Fart, fart splash popped up on any of your menus, Danny? <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Scofflaw Old Tom Gin, a tasty, versatile spirit. Created in Chicago in 2012, the product was born out of a need for a bespoke iteration of the Old Tom style, which is the slightly sweeter predecessor to London Dry. Scofflaw Old Tom Gin carries classic notes of orange peel, juniper, and coriander, while balancing on a subtle floral edge thanks to the addition of osmanthus blossoms. Its elevated proof is suitable in cocktails or unadorned. Scofflaw Old Tom Gin, complete your bar. No, I mean, we would just, like, we were just constantly joking around, I feel. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the thing is, and I think this this goes for, like, all of us behind the bar there. It's like, we took everything super seriously, but not ourselves. Yeah. Like, we, we had fun making each other crack up. Yeah, you're working sure. long hours, and it's, I remember, like, the wait sometimes for a cocktail was was brutal oh like you guys God. were and i didn't ever want to say anything because like you guys were working your asses off and like it was interesting i think danny's commented on this like paul would like he, just totally unfazed he would like know exactly what you needed he'd, he'd get to you you'd still have to wait but like and you knew i yeah, trusted that paul knew what he was attention. doing and he'd oh, get yeah. to you yeah i'll tell you what you know the first few years you know like like i said it took us a while to figure out what we were doing and and just the system mm-hmm. that we had to put in place to do cocktails. I mean, that it took a very long time to get all of the pieces in place. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it was a solid four years before I can say things moved really quickly. Like nowadays, it's pretty quick. It's very fast. Yeah, I think it was um, still fast. Like 
for all of us at the time, you know, the Violet Hour was the example of like the the crafted cocktail from scratch that took a very long time. Yeah. So I think in our minds, it was always like, are we getting a drink out faster than that? And I think we were. Um, and I think that if it wasn't like a peak Saturday night time, you were getting a drink pretty quickly relative to the setup. Yeah. And well, even on peak Saturday, I feel like it seemed like a long time, but I feel like it wasn't as long as some other places. Yeah. yeah. No, it was never terrible. Yeah. And we, we also figured a few things out as time went on. One of them was menu construction, like not having a ton of stirred drinks on there. Um, just figuring out a good mix of drinks that we could execute quickly in with the ones that we knew to be more time consuming. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously like the B1, B2, et cetera system, we worked out kinks over the course of years with that. The other thing was, and this was before we even, you know, put like a punch style cocktail on draft. Um, you know, we would make like a punch style cocktail, bottle it up. And I mean, we had $5 cocktails on our menu. Yeah, I remember um, one of the biggest mistakes ever made crazy. was uh, batching that punch without citrus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, all, we all make those mistakes. Yeah, it was a classic. Once, uh, yeah, once, one time and yeah. it was brutal. But but having, you know, having a batched cocktail like that, that is a low price point mm-hmm. and you know, you turn, you turn and burn with those. Uh, the other thing was adding, you know, a couple draft lines. Yeah. My that's got to change like, it. Yeah. Just, you know, looking back on, you know, how many cocktails we would do pre draft lines and all that. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I mean, think I remember the menu nothing. when I worked, it was like a fig leaf, grist mill, uh, the Roman, Roman spring, the yeah, Roman spring, the butcher block, uh, there's like a, a northern exposure or something that was like mezcal and raspberry and stuff. Oh, um, southern exposure. Southern exposure. Pisco. <laughs> okay. Pisco raspberry. But then Paul found out that a lot of strip clubs are called southern exposure. <laughs> so <laughs> and, did that change? And and yeah, I think I think that changed to Pinga, which we then well, Pinga found was later. out. That was post. Yeah, that was like means penis. Right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that that one went through a few different. What was the first names. cocktail you got on the menu, Danny? Uh, I was not contributing cocktails at that time. Never one. No, no, no. Um, yeah, it was you, pre. Like you it was were back only when with Paul, us for like a year. Yeah, before. And at that time, it was like law. Paul and Billy, and I don't think even Eric like submitted stuff. Yeah. Uh, and. But yeah, I mean, I remember if someone ordered a grist mill, I would love to say, don't be pissed, Bill. It's a grist mill. Or like just <laughs> That's a really around, fun thing to say. You know, calling Billy uh, the red hot Billy Pepper <laughs> is a favorite nickname. Um, but yeah, good times. All right. So you said when you open a new place, it's always informed by the place before it. So how does Sleeping Village come, come along? And is that informed by some of the systems you put in place at the Whistler? We thought that might be the case when we first started down that road, but the reality is, no, they kind of have nothing to do with each other. I mean, <laughs> okay. you know, they're different well, the concepts, venue, they're different yeah. sizes. Yeah, it's I mean, a they're lot completely bigger. different animals. Yeah, yeah, how did that opportunity come about? Because that's a very cool building. Well, you know, we we spent years looking for a space to do our next project. Uh, in fact, 
Danny, I don't know if you remember, you snaked us on the building that Moonlighter. Moonlighter, yeah, you talked about that. You dog. Yeah. No, we, uh, in fact, yeah, we're supposed to be, we were supposed to buy that building. We had gotten the documents faxed over, and before everything could get signed, the person who owned it. Yeah, we didn't, uh, we do not own that building. Yeah, the person yeah. who owned it called up our real estate agent and said, you know what? We found someone to lease it. We're not selling it anymore. Oh, so, so we, that's where Sleeping Village it. was going to be. Oh, I didn't know. I don't think oh. I knew. I knew you were looking at that space. I didn't know that it got that far. That oh, yeah, Because yeah, we yeah. were willing to lease it, they oh, yeah. changed your deal. Oh, yeah. Um, it was that's close. But, Do you want to apologize publicly? Because <laughs> <laughs> I think Sleeping Village is a cool space. No, I I, I think I like... It is. I, yeah. I, I busted your nuts on that like, years ago. <laughs> but, I mean, no hard feelings there, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Uh, no, but we we did sp- we spent years looking for a space, and and we were pretty particular about what it needed to be, just based on, you know, how big we wanted the bar to be, how big we wanted the venue to be, we wanted outdoor space. Like there were just so many different check boxes mm-hmm. that you know we need to hit. Um, but yeah, I mean the, and we were we were also really particular about where we were looking. We, we didn't want to open something on the Milwaukee Avenue strip because mm-hmm. we were like, okay, we've kind of already been here. and Yeah, you'd have to be insane to open two places on Milwaukee, right, Danny? <laughs> <laughs> well, you just have one, really. <laughs> no, it's two concepts. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, yeah. Technically. But, yeah, I don't know. We, like, when we opened Whistler, there was nothing over there, and kind of what we were looking for with sleeping village was a similar situation. We wanted one in an area that really nothing was going on yet, but Mm -hmm. would be eventually. Um, So, I mean, that's why we specifically were like looking on this stretch of Armitage uh, a little bit North of here on Fullerton. And then that stretch of Belmont where we ended up finding the building for sleeping village. Have you seen like, uh, I guess a commonality between the, first the the clientele in the early years of the whistler and the clientele at the you know in the early years of sleeping village a little bit um i think the the two areas that whistler and sleeping village are in have a lot of similarities but i i realized kind of from the start like where the whistler ended up was a little bit of a unicorn and that it's right between two train stops and that whole area like we kind of saw how that was going to go as far as bars and restaurants and shops popping yeah. up. Yeah, you, you mentioned you were looking in Pilsen for yeah. Whistler also. We, you really got That lucky. was the same thinking was like, you know, thinking either Logan Square or Pilsen are going to pop off. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, with with where Sleeping Village ended up, we kind of saw that as, well, that's the next stop on the blue line past logan square station so we saw that as kind of like the natural like evolution yeah yeah now we never thought the stretch on belmont there was going to be anything like milwaukee avenue and it it can't be yeah yeah but it's probably not as affected with all the shows like the shows bring out the people more so like yeah yeah it like is that business model i mean it seems like it's set up totally differently yeah. Well, and it's a little bit more of a destination yeah. type spot than over here where, you know, like Whistler was a destination earlier because 
there was nothing around. If you know, we always thought if if we saw somebody walking down the block while we were open, there was like a fifty fifty chance that they were coming to our place because there's mm-hmm. no other reason to be over there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe there's a little bit of that going on at where Sleeping Village is too. Um, but that neighborhood's building up a lot. Yeah, that's these cool. Days. Um, but we knew, you know, we really knew going into that, we were like, all right, the early years are going to be pretty lean as far as foot traffic goes, but that's what you sign up for. Yeah. It's cool. That you anticipated that. So do you have any fun stories of shows and dealing with musicians at sleeping village? Um, well, any Led Zeppelin people coming in, <laughs> throwing shit and breaking things? No, no, not, nothing quite like that, I suppose. <laughs> and, and yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I'd never call anybody out. No, not my name, of <laughs> course. Yeah, like wacky riders or yeah, yeah, wacky behavior. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, that's the thing. That, all right, so you bring up the riders. Uh, you know, riders are a funny – like people always talk about the, like, no brown M&Ms, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> yeah. But, like, that has been so misunderstood. Like, they didn't say no brown M&Ms because they were being pre- prima donnas. I think the tour manager said, I'm going to say no brown M&Ms, and if the venue takes the brown M&Ms out – we know they're the real deal. We know they're like running a real tight ship. Yeah, they read it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's that's like one of those like misconceptions when people talk about tour yeah. riders. Um, but yeah, I don't know. You get weird weird requests every once in a while. You know, outside of the usual like hummus and veggie plates and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, it's um, a pretty easy one. I remember, gosh, who was it? I think I want to say it was. I forget the band. I think maybe it was Man Man, but they wanted Mark Jackson basketball cards. Oh, because of the. Uh, I actually is it the no Mark Jackson why. card that has the? Uh, who are the brothers who killed their parents? Oh, the, uh, the Menendez. 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 Menendez is that Mark Jackson card? I have no idea what that is. I think it might be. Yeah, because yeah. like in the back, you, you know what I'm talking about. The Menendez brothers killed their, but in the yeah. time before, yeah. after they killed the parents and they got caught, they sat like courtside. They like. Bought courtside tickets, and they happen to be photographed on... It's a hoops card, right? Yeah. Uh, is that the, and it's uh-huh. like the gray border. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you yeah. can see the Menendez brothers just sitting there courtside having a grand time before they're arrested. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. So it's like yeah. a significant... Yeah. I guess wow. so. Well, you know, lucky lucky so, for me, I had... <laughs> Mark Jackson. Here it is. Mark Jackson cards. <laughs> there you go, Danny. Oh, my God. That is insane. There they are. <laughs> Pretty insane. That's the one. Yep. Yep. What a great uh, rider. Yeah, that is. <laughs> That's Jeremy, right? Is Jeremy Man Man? Wait, who's Man None. Man? Uh, Who am I thinking of? They're in LA based. Oh, all right. Okay. I want the patricidal basketball cards in my dressing <laughs> yeah. room, in the green room. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, so I guess running two totally different businesses, like, how would you break down both of them? Like, the you know, the processes for each or how, you know, I well, guess what, what different things they take to run. You know, like I said earlier, I think going into Sleeping Village, we thought, well, we've got all these systems in place at Whistler and we know how to run that ship. We, a lot of that will translate over at SV. And we found out that it doesn't like, you know, the, for instance, the beverage programs, totally different. Yeah. Mostly you know? beer and cider focused. At yeah, SV. exactly. Like we've got 56 taps over there and like a really, really amazing beer and cider program. Um, not, you know, it's not cocktail focused. So the way we run that's completely different. Um, 
With 56 taps, what's your best-selling beer? PBR. Yeah. Same at, which, same at Whistler, you know. Uh, PBR has been it. our best-seller. Best-selling item every year running since the day we opened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and well, all right. And th- that's, let me just say like a little aside. Um, you know, I, people would, I think when people would think cocktail bar, they think expensive or pricey night out. I'm always like, you know, our best seller was always $2 PBR. Our next best seller was a $4 well drink. Like, and then our top seller cocktail was always like the five or $6 punch. Now, nowadays, you know, that's up to like eight bucks. Yeah, the um, punch. Yeah. Yeah. How much but, is the PBR? Uh, $3. Three. It's yeah. still really Inflation. good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 50, I think, I wonder more. if uh, Rainbow Club still, what was it, buck fifty for a PBR maybe? I have no idea. The buck fifty or two bucks. I yeah. bet it's still the same. I haven't been there in a minute. <laughs> gonna, we're going to have to go and do some recount. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, just totally different bar programs. And, uh, you know, the other thing with difference between Whistler and Sleeping Village. You know, Whistler, it's a small space, no cover. Uh, You know, Sleeping Village, it's 350 cap room, charging a cover for every show. Uh, You know, basically having to learn how to book a show, like what, how how to put together an offer sheet and a settlement sheet and, uh, you know, how to book shows through booking agents and dealing with managers and things, you know, in 10 years at the Whistler, we never, ever dealt with. Yeah. Um, And then marketing, you know, like, I think we ran an ad for the Whistler for like the first 12 months we were open. And then that was the end of our marketing spend. Yeah. To today. And, um, you know, shows it at Sleeping Village, like, you've got you know, a $10,000 guarantee on a show, you better make sure that thing sells out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, learning the whole, mer- you know, marketing side. Um, th- again, they were just different the animals. No, no, no. Um, you know, in the in the fir- early, early days at SV, I did all the booking. And then, you know, it became really obvious very quickly that it was it's a big animal. So at that point, it was like, okay, we need to bring in talent buyer uh, need to bring in like we at that point it was like we need a booking department a marketing department a production wow. department um whoa and i mean there's yeah it's so a, it became like it's a, a much bigger beast big than the whistler oh yeah yeah so yeah. the sleeping village is more intricate or more difficult to run requires more people oh very much yeah I has mean, there ever been a show where you were like i've never heard of this band before and then it just blows the doors off Yes. Uh, what's his name? Andrew McMahon. I think he goes by know. Andrew McMahon in the wilderness. Google him. Uh, <laughs> Tim's somebody, just looking up basketball cards over here. I, I, got, a, I got approached <laughs> by this guy. Yeah, Andrew McMahon. Yeah. All right. So I got approached by this guy. In the wilderness. Yeah. Uh, this guy's in the wine business. And, and he was like, I'm on the board of this nonprofit that does this fundraiser every year with this artist, Andrew McMahon, and he had cancer and now he now that he's doing better and in remission, he's on the board of this nonprofit that I'm involved in and we do this annual fundraiser every year and we want to do it at SV. And you know, it sounds like a great idea, 
But the thing that knocked me out of my chair is he was like, so yeah, we want to sell each ticket for a hundred bucks. And I was like, wait, what? Like, yeah, you got to be kidding me. And he was like, no, yeah, no, a hundred bucks. What's your average ticket price? Like 10 to 20. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and at that time it was on the low end of Mm -hmm. that, but he was like, no, trust me. Like this guy's got a big following. Sure enough, this thing sells out immediately. And, (laughs) and I had no idea, like this guy, yeah, he's got like a million followers on some social media platform. I'm like, okay, I guess he's huge. But he was somebody completely outside of what I listened to. Uh, But a lot of people listen to him. (laughs) Yeah, that's, I mean, there's got to be so many pockets of audiences that like we have no idea about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're still holding out hope for this podcast. A million <laughs> subscribers. Want to crack crack a yeah. hundred listeners? Yeah, we, we just need it. to charge a hundred bucks per listen. Uh, yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. Before we hit the gratuity, because yeah. I know that's where you're headed. Uh, both bars, great names. What? Uh, well, bar and venue. Are there stories behind the names? Yeah. So, <laughs> naming is hard. <laughs> it's really hard. That's why I ask. Yeah. And I mean, e- even like naming cocktails is hard. Like it's so much easier to come up with a great drink than it is to name a drink. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I have a, you know, a notes uh, entry in my phone where for years I've just been adding drink names because it's always so hard. So I just go to that. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Andy uh, does that. And actually Slippery Slope is a Whistler drink. Old name. Whistler drink. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. And actually the bar that opened up next to us was an old Whistler drink, but I don't think they knew that. Welcome back. Oh yeah. The welcome back. Yeah. Yeah. That's a classic. So we got two old Whistler drinks on the stretch. <laughs> yeah. That's named true. It's just now. dawned on me. Danny speaks a lot in innuendo and puns. And I realize it's probably yeah, because he's always writing drink names in his head. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is yeah, the basis no, of so, your sense of humor. Yeah, yeah, it's a low form of intellect. That's what it is. <laughs> no, puns are the highest form of comedy. That's what... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so where does Whistler uh, come from? Okay, so Whistler, um, you know, we obviously struggling with a name as everyone does. And we were getting out trail maps from ski resorts. Um, Rob and I both like skiing a lot. And the year before Whistler opened, I had gone out to Breckenridge and he had gone to Whistler Blackcomb in British Columbia. And we're like looking at trail names. And I think eventually, you know, his finger went to the top of the page and was like, how about just that? Just take the name from the ski resort. Um, And, you know, we thought, well, it's it it can have many different meanings, Mm -hmm. you know, like the sounds, birds, et cetera. And let's just name it that, not really say and just let it become its own thing. So that's that's how we landed there. Um, Sleeping Village was funny in that we incorporated the business in 2015 and needed a name to put down and my partner eric i think he had been like listening to black sabbath um their first record there's a song sleeping village Mm. i think he was listening to that i think he was listening to that black sabbath record and yeah we just literally needed to be able to put a business name down to file our paperwork and we thought well we'll do that just call it sleeping village We'll file a DBA later when we figure out what it's actually going to be named. And, you know, fast forward three years, 
we were like so close to opening construction was about done we still hadn't figured out our name we were working with some odd pilot on our website and branding and they definitely had that come to jesus talk with us and they were like we can't actually (laughs) make your logo until we know what you're called um and this whole time you know we we went through hundreds of names and our our list was started with SV Sleeping Village and kind of the way we had always talked about it was well we'll never call it Sleeping Village so let's look at all the other ones and we just circled back to it because we were like we can't figure out anything better yeah uh, and then in the end i think we all love it yeah it's yeah. a great name yeah for sure This episode of Joiners is brought to you by Stock Manufacturing, makers of fine hospitality workwear. You obsess over the details in your space, so why stop at your staff's uniforms? Stock has something for every aesthetic. From fine dining to a corner cafe, they've got you covered. Choose from in-stock ready-to-wear options or design the perfect custom uniform for your team. For more information, visit stockmfgco.com. All right, right. cool, Tim, you ready? Now I'll hit you with the gratuity round. So, what is your death row meal? My death row meal is going to be a big meal. Uh, I'm going going burger and fries, pizza, ramen, ice cream, and maybe, and this is one I'll throw in for you, Danny, the original guapi. That you yeah. guys had Ooh. the Mickey, the Mickey Guapi, Mickey Neely. Shout out Mickey. Yeah, do you remember how much I came in? And <laughs> that ate was that? a good sandwich. My God, that's the Guapi Choso. Yeah, Cho- Guapi Choso. Yeah. yeah, I've still never had one. Yeah, they kind of don't exist anymore. <laughs> it's yeah. a mythical sandwich. <laughs> it was basically the scraps of everything on the menu. Yeah, on a Tolera diced roll. up and thrown on a sandwich. yeah Tolera roll. Yum. So good. I loved that thing so much. So depending on what the menu was like at the time would dictate the sandwich. Mm-hmm. Could we but, get... but that original menu, yeah. Guapi, that's That original menu one. is very solid. Yeah. You got to do a Pork throwback. cheek sandwich. Should have brought it back for the 10-year anniversary, Danny. Yeah. Got to talk to Mickey. Your your original cocktail menu was real good, too. I remember really loving the tomahawk. Yeah, the tomahawk was a fun one. What's yeah. the build? So it's a one and a half ounces of Rittenhouse rye. Uh, we've got a half ounce of Maletti, half ounce of lemon juice, a half ounce of Orgeat. And our Orgeat is a little bit different uh, in that we are using rose water and orange flower water and this Hawaiian rum called Kaloa, which gives it a lot of vanilla. And then the cool part was that we were using the orange saffron bitters um, from, you know. Was that Weatherby's? Yeah, from Weatherby. Yeah. Uh, and that was like only the Whistler, Violet Hour, and us were the only bars that you could even get those bitters at. Yeah. Because it was made by a local man uh, whose last name is Weatherby. And uh, was it Mike Weather? What's oh, I forget his first name, but he was making them with Greg Butera. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they're incredible bitters. So, yeah. So that was it. And you it was were on making, crushed ice and a footed glass. You were yeah. making your own ore shot, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember when we. Were we living in the same building at the time? Oh, I yeah. remember going yeah, Billy down. Billy got me my best ever apartment. I remember going down to your apartment and you were making Orja and you were explaining it to me. And I thought, you're crazy for making this yourself. <laughs> yeah. Because no, you, yeah. you were the, like, no, the oh, early it's only going to yeah. take me like six hours. Yeah. We, so we first started doing like the real way of basically 
just soaking almonds and straining out what I, it's a very laborious situation, very tedious. And then at some point I was like, wait, almond milk is just this already done. <laughs> so then I was like, why don't people just do almond milk like unsweetened and then they can add sugar and make a syrup out of it. And honestly, at the time, Orgeat, there was no recipe for Orgeat that didn't have you taking a bunch of almonds that were like blanched and slivered and putting them in cheesecloth yeah. and like basically milking these almonds. Like no one had ever thought of that sh- like shortcut. Yeah. And I was like, this is insane. Oh. So that's I'm how we made so, I'm so glad that's how you you were making it because it was like so obvious. This whole time yeah. I thought, my God, are you still doing it the way that you showed me? Was it apples to apples though in the end? Uh, yeah, for sure. Are you just saying that? No, no, or are like you winking, <laughs> yeah, aggressively. <laughs> no, it's the same thing. I mean, okay. one's like an industrial version of that process. Uh, all right, back back to the yeah. gratuity on here. Right. I'm glad I asked though, and yeah. good job on recalling that. Yeah, I remember. Every detail. I mean, yeah, a lot of recipes. All right, you also forgot a lot. So you went pizza, burger, ramen. ice cream, ramen. ramen. Where are these coming from? So burger and fries. My thing is it it changes kind of depend depending on the year, right? Okay. Let's go right now, let's go 2023. Yeah, so, all right. So 2023, uh burger, fries, red hot ranch. Yeah. yeah. I I mean, I love red hot. Yeah, yeah you don't have to explain it to us. We're right there with you. <laughs> We're probably going to go there right after this. I would love that. <laughs> I'll tag along. Yeah. Uh well, pizza, I'm going Spock and Napoli. Yep. Uh, ramen, misoya. Yeah, misoya is probably yeah, top two. I love that. Although one. I haven't done Chicago ramen and just plains, which everyone says is incredible. Yeah, we I haven't tried that. Yeah, but Santoka and misoya are yeah, my, you know, so good. And what else? Ice cream. Ice cream. I'm probably going with the Tillamook monster cookie ice cream Ooh, right now. I like the Tillamook ice creams. Yeah. Where do you get them? Woodman's. Okay. Oh, I see. Yeah. So way I feel like up, I way know. up north because I, I see them like occasionally. I love the packaging of it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now let's do the 1996 version of that. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> well, great. I'm surprised. You he was thinking about Graters is yeah. Ohio, right? Is Graters uh, ice cream? Yeah, I think so. That might be. I could be wrong. Columbus. Yeah, something like that. Jenny's is Columbus. Jenny's is Columbus. Yeah, a lot of ice cream out of Ohio. Actually, just in general, a lot of companies out of Columbus. Hmm. Graders is, I don't know. I, I think it's Ohio somewhere, but yeah. All right, moving on. Favorite hidden gem restaurant? I guess, who's our audience? Because <laughs> well, here's people. why it's I asked. Because, yeah. because like, there really aren't too many hidden gems when it comes to it's just true. talking with you two. Or like, if you're talking yeah. with someone on LTH forum, yeah. There are no hidden gems. Yeah, Everyone sure. knows everything. Yeah. But Especially our audience is in the know. But what yeah. do you got? Um, <laughs> but I'm going to force it. Yeah. Man. We I don't know. This, th- all right, so, th- yeah, this is the hardest one. Um, I don't know. Uh, there's this new Indian place. All right. So this is this is out on Deerfield Road. But there's this new Indian place, um, Tandoor, just opened within the last year. And... Ronnie and I went there a couple months ago, and the place is phenomenal. All right. Phenomenal. Hmm. Um, I had had it once before at, like, a house party. They did some catering. Um, but it was my first time eating there. Love that place. Um, All right. So that that's maybe my Tandor. new one. There's, they're real new. Uh, I hope they stick around because they got something special going on over there. That's a good that's one. That's a new one, yeah. yeah. All right. Good work. Uh, favorite fast food. Uh, 
Well, if I'm not going to say Red Hot Ranch, I'll go Culver's. Yeah, excellent Tim choice. Loves, uh, What's your order? A butter burger. You going curds? No. Fries. Fries. The fries are good. Yeah. Good uh, answer. Not yeah. I'm 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 easy like that in that just burger and fries. Yeah. Keep it simple. Yeah, it's a great combo. Yeah. Now what's your least favorite food? I'm I'm a pretty adventurous eater. Uh, I mean there's certain things I just don't gravitate towards. Yeah. Like, you know, I'll eat a salad around the cucumber. Okay. But you know, if cucumbers cooked into something, I like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Um, so you're drinking a milkmaid, no garnish. No, but see, I love it in that. Okay. I just don't like eating cucumbers. An like, unseasoned cucumber in like a in like a salad you get from a pizza place, not for me. Yeah. But like a but a seasoned cucumber salad, yeah, I like love shaved cucumber yeah. vinegar, like great, yes. fantastic. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and what's your favorite cocktail? This is interesting. The quill. The quill, quill cocktail. What's the quill? You know this one. I don't Ooh. know. Yeah. I know you I know you know this Tell one. I'm pretty sure that. I've had you make one. All right, a quill. It was a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, it's just a Negroni with like two or three dashes of absinthe. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Here it is. So That's a great it, one. And and it's a classic. Like we'll put that uh, on as your cocktail. What is it? Uh, Harry Macalone's. Okay, yeah, the, like the an ABCs old bar. Yeah. Okay. of mixed drinks. Yeah. Nineteen nineteen, like yeah, it's a hundred plus year old drink. Hmm. I well, love that one. All right, great. That's, I knew Negronis were in your sweet spot. Yeah, yeah. It's credited to Frank C. Payne. Does it come from? Here's yeah, the, the ABC. Yeah, it comes from. Yep, Harry's ABCs and mixing yeah. cocktails. Cool. All right, cool. All right. Well. What is one thing that is always in your refrigerator at home? Outside of Negroni fixins, uh, <laughs> that counts. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's your What's your gin of choice for a Negroni? Beef eater. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Danny, you as well. Yeah, it's a great, he great option. Care. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Beef then, eater and then cookie vermouth di Torino. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. So, what are you going equal parts? I am. Sorry. Okay. Danny. Sorry. Yeah, Danny. It's okay. Yeah, <laughs> I've been doing Danny's build, and Shannon does not like it as much. I am sorry she wants to equal report. parts. Yeah. Okay. We like the equal parts. Um, all right. Well, you said Shannon didn't like it as much. Uh, she didn't say you didn't like well, it Well, when much. Shannon likes something, that means that's <laughs> how I consume it as well. <laughs> but outside of Negroni fixins, yeah. uh, bagel fixins. Ooh. To make bagels? You're making bagels? I'm not or, making them from or scratch, cream but cheese. I got my cream cheese, capers, capers right yeah. usually um, some locks. Oh, yeah. Um, and then... I used to be a New York bagel and Bialy guy. Yeah. yeah, I'm now Chicago bagel and Bialy too. Which uh, one is that? It's on Milwaukee and Wheeling. Huh? Yeah. Whoa. It's it That's was started a by tip. a guy who used to work at New York that, bagel. Wow. And Bialy. Whoa. And yeah. why why do you prefer that one now? Uh, you know, the weight at yeah, New, New York, York bagel, bagel and Bialy can be, can be kicking the nuts. Yeah. But there's two it, of them. It had gotten pretty right. bad, and so I tried this other place. And I love the bagels there. I think maybe the bagel itself is slightly better at New York Bagel and Bialy, but the seasoning is better at Hmm. Chicago Bagel and Bialy. And what's your bagel? Are you getting an everything bagel there? Mishmash? They call it a mishmash? No, they call it all season. All season. Nice. And what kind of cream cheese are you stocking? Chive. Mm. Chive. Yeah. My Scott favorite lately has been uh, the Jardinera from Mindy's. So good. Oh, Jardinera cream cheese. Yeah. Oh, I've never had that. Ooh, it's great. I love Jardinera. So, uh, so that's another thing that's always in the fridge. Jardinera? Yeah. Do you have I'd a brand throw for that? that? On the list. 
Uh, I'm bad with brands. There's like the Marconi brand, you know. Something. Yeah, we did the uh, taste test Jardinera. That's true. We, we should redo that one, one actually. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. All right. Um, the one we thought would be the best was not. It was Bari. That's right. Bari's by itself. Did Fresh Marketplace had win? like mushrooms. It was like weird. Yeah. yeah they, but in the, the context of their sandwiches, it's amazing. It in like the yeah, in the blind taste, we were surprised. Mm-hmm. And what's your go-to host gift? Um, usually plants. Ooh. Yeah. Mm. Do you have a specific plant, or do you? Does that vary on the recipient? It depends. Yeah. What host, would you give Danny? Since I'm so prickly. Cactus? Cactus. Ooh, yeah. definitely a cactus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah penis shaped cactus for sure. 100%. Excellent answer, Danny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Ooh, this is a good one for you. What's your favorite band or musician? Um, You know, kind of like with Death Row Meal. Changes. It depends. Yeah, year to year, it's like all over the place. You know, yeah. so I, much I music. listen to a lot what of stage music. Are, what are you in right now? What's your um? What's your top just uh, Spotify so, search? I'd say like just as far as new music that I keep coming back to this year, album by Rosie or Rosie Plain. Her album's fantastic, um, and then also the new album by John Carroll Kirby. Those are two I go back to. Very different from each other, uh, you know, genre and sound-wise. But, yeah, you know, I I rarely will, you know, put on music on, like, a streaming platform that is something I just heard. I'm usually just, like, trying to hear new stuff. But those are the maybe two exceptions in recent months that I just Mm -hmm. keep going back to. Yeah, my wife brought to my attention that I haven't listened to new music and since she met me. I'm just like <laughs> listening to the same Marty Robbins bullshit over and over. I got a lot of new music from listening to the music that Billy would play at the Whistler. I mean, just on that mix. Oh, yeah. I yeah. would just hear stuff and be like, oh. That's nice. Share the playlist, Danny. Yeah. Um, I think one of the artists is like became problematic maybe politically for some, uh, but was uh, Ariel Pink I used to love. Oh, oh he yeah. stormed the Capitol. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I don't want to yeah. even get into that, but I or, just love or that album. John Mouse was another. I th- that's yeah. who I thought you were going to say. They no, went together, yeah, yeah. didn't they? I don't know if they went together. <laughs> yeah. they well, together we carpooled. <laughs> three of us. <laughs> no, yeah. I don't. <laughs> All right. Uh, but that album is so, I mean, and the Hot Day Graffiti is just. Yeah. So yeah it's good. a very cool album. Oh, oh yeah. Got to separate yeah. the art from the artist. I mean, the Kanye stuff yeah. recently is a tough, it's yeah. a tough sell for me. Or, or I mean, the more details Chicago, I read, like R. Kelly, you know, that's yeah, uh, yeah. Tim had to get his tattoo separate. removed. Yeah. We almost bought R. Kelly's <laughs> studio in the West Loop to move stock into. No kidding. Yeah, and the uh, realtor said they're still sending royalty checks to the building, and they were he's getting like fan mail and stuff. Mm. <laughs> Pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, what is your favorite movie? Uh, this I'm going to go more with directors that okay i gravitate towards like i i just always love coen brothers movies yeah do you have a favorite though um <laughs> i do mine's uh <laughs> raising arizona well love that one uh barton fink and lebowski yeah, yeah. lebowski's like i kind of go. he's wearing the dude's sweater between. rob lapata would appreciate oh, yeah, that i guess i kind of am huh? <laughs> yeah and the jelly <laughs> yeah. shoes yeah <laughs> And Danny's got his uh, little Urban Achievers T-shirt on. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Coen Bros. That's a good answer. Yeah, I and is there one you don't like? Uh, what director? No, no Coen Brothers, Brothers movie. No, but you know what? About what? Hail Caesar. 
You know what? I, I didn't I, like Hail Caesar, but when I rewatched it, I liked it a lot. Also, I haven't seen. Well, I haven't seen that one, but I haven't seen. I haven't been to many movies in recent years. Either. Yeah, he just like, saw. That's the okay. Flower they're on Netflix. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, Killing a Flower Moon and just watch. That's Scorsese, though. No, I'm just saying. saying Scorsese terms, Scorsese? He's, no, he's saying I haven't been to the movies oh. recently a lot. And I said, you just saw a movie. Yeah, there weren't, yeah, there wasn't a reason to go to a theater for a long time. Now you kind of have to go um, for certain things or wait a month and a half to get Tim can't wait. Yeah. 20 bucks. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was That's I mean, true. I was obsessed with movies for years. And I mean, uh, going to film school, like, yeah, you're you're in that every yeah, day. All conditioned. Day and, yeah, just. You know, a, a normal week for me was just like going to see whatever new movie was coming out. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, fast forward like ten years after having the bars open and you know all all these other things on my plate, I'm just like, yeah, not a not yeah, yeah, I've it kind it of fall to the just, wayside. Yeah, yeah it's it's just like the Chicago International Film Festival is just here and uh, or was just on, and it's like Ellie went to see a, a movie and. It, it's really fun to just pick some random movies in there and just go check them out. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend. I mean, I didn't do it this year, but Ethan, we've done it historically. Ethan's movie cool. was in it, wasn't it? The Hermosa? Yeah. Yeah. Who's so, that? Ethan, Ethan Lim from Hermosa. Mm. Yeah, there's a movie. It was like a documentary. Yeah. I, I haven't seen it. I should have gone on to that. Um, also, check out Ballad of Buster Scruggs if you haven't seen that one. Haven't seen that. That was the Netflix yeah. direct, and I love that one. It's a bunch huh. of short stories. Yeah. And it's Coen Brothers. That really is good. Really, you should check that out. All right. And then the last question. If you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? I don't know. Maybe, maybe something in architecture. Ooh. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. That, that's, all, that's always been an interest. Yeah. Um, Did you ever go I, to school for it? Well, not originally, but... You know, when when everything shut down in 2020, I did. Like, I went to UIC. And oh, I, I didn't there. know that. Yeah, yeah, I studied under Art Vandelay. Yeah, yeah. Me and Vandelay. We were going <laughs> to open our cool. own business. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how, you took a class there? Yeah, yeah. I I did the the their, like, intensive summer architecture program. Um, 2020 was, I mean, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, what happened I, then, yeah. Yeah, I had, like, two businesses shut down that, you know, we basically were just like everyone else, just scrambling to yeah. keep people paid and yeah. figure out how we we're going to reopen eventually someday. Um, but outside of that, I was, I had, you know, joined the advocacy committee for National Independent Venue Association. So it was just basically lobbying Congress that whole summer. And then I did the UIC summer program. So I, and it, that was all remote. You know, it was mm. like, you're on Zoom all day, Monday through Friday. Uh, yeah, that was a weird time. It was like I'm on, I'm in this class. And mind you, like I hadn't been to college in 20 years. Uh, <laughs> I'm in class with. I mean, I think the youngest person in the class was like 18. Oh man, it was it was wild. Like, Who was the oldest? About, you? Oh, I was the oldest by like at least a decade plus. <laughs> did you do anything cool to try to blend in, like get a cool hat? Or yeah, something? No, he did the, the egg uh, challenge on the first day. Yeah, I wore the music band shirt. Yeah, rocking my skateboard. Oh man! Uh, but yeah, that, yeah, that <laughs> he was, shows up in a skateboard. That was wild. Hello, uh, uh, fellow youths. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that was that was fun, and it was. It was really challenging, but like one of the more rewarding things I've done in recent years. Um, so I, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Like learned 3D modeling software, and there were, you know it was mostly like studio 
yeah. classes. Well, that's cool. But done remote. So it'd be, I'd be like on my Zoom with the class and then like jump out of that Zoom and get onto a Zoom with like Senator Duckworth and, you know, okay, <laughs> save our stages needs to pass. And, yeah. Uh, what a weird just, time. Yeah, it, was a, it was a strange summer. That is, <laughs> for yeah. sure. But cool. yeah, that, that, that might be what I'd go into that's what we're going with mm-hmm. and that's our last question hey. yeah you made you it, made it. Yeah. congratulations thanks Dallas. for joining us today thanks billy And that concludes our conversation with Billy Holmkamp of The Whistler and Sleeping Village. This episode was brought to you by Host Cocktails. That's H-O-S-T-E, cocktails.com. If you want to learn more about their premium bottled cocktails. And as always, this episode was produced by Matt Haddock, music by Captain Cuts, and real work by the one and only Joe Guzzo III. Catch you next week.